Welcome to the Hiker Trash Podcast. This is a project of Local Exposure Magazine. My name is Ronnie Pettit, and I'm your host. The Hiker Trash Project began with my curiosity about why people through hike the Appalachian Trail, or any long trail. I wondered why they do it, what they gain from it, and how that experience might manifest itself in their life after the trail. I spent an entire year following, photographing, and interviewing through hikers on the Appalachian Trail from Georgia to Maine and all the way back to Georgia. I put all that, those interviews and photographs, into a 200-page coffee table book. And now we're going to continue the project as a podcast. So listen along as we track down some of the people we met along the way and interview new hikers and find out, did that experience change them or... Did it simply provide the context to reveal who they already are? You can find out more about Local Exposure Magazine on the internet at localexposuremagazine.com. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at local.exposure.magazine. The intro music for today's episode was provided by Scott Lowe. He's a Northeast Georgia-based singer-songwriter. You can find him on Instagram at Songs. Okay, folks, we're going to start this episode off with a beer. You ready? Oh, uh, yeah. Hey, today's special guest is Mischief, and we are... Say hello, Mischief. How's it going? It's good, man. It's been a crazy couple of days, I know. We're going to get into yeah, that. Yeah, man. Let me, uh, let me just kind of, you know, give the setting. We are in the truck actually we're not even in the truck you're standing on one side of the truck i'm standing on the other the podcast gear is kind of spread out and in between us is hut laying under a sleeping bag (laughs) (laughs) hopefully hopefully he'll stay in place but we're on the banks of stanley creek somewhere near blue ridge Ridge, georgia right yeah uh so last week, I tried to track you down, and I got broke down and stranded. And this week, while tracking you down, you got broke down and stranded. Yeah. Full Pretty circle. crazy how that worked. Full, full circle. <laughs> so let's, um, let's start out with your trail name. All right. So, well, my real name's Chris, but even my family don't call me that anymore. They call but, you Mischief? Yeah. That's cool. Because every time somebody would call my grandmothers, they would ask for mischief. And she was always like, who the heck are you? I don't even know who you're talking about. And then finally, she just started calling me. Then my sister did and everybody else. But I got mischief before I even became a long-distance hiker. I did my first uh, backpacking trip ever in uh, 2015. And it was in the fall. I did uh, Parisburg, Virginia to Damascus, Virginia, about 125 miles, give or take. And I had the best time of my life. And I met a bunch of subo through hikers. 
And then I found out, like, people go Nobo on the trail, too. Hold up one second. Did you, when you did that hike, did you have previous backpacking experience? No, that was my first trip. It you just ever. raw dogged it. I was basically, I was a hunter. Okay. So I was used to being outdoors and all that when it was cold. But no, I, I had never even went on a day hike. Nice. It, I just, I ran into a Sobo while I was hunting, and he told me about the AT, and yeah, I just went home, Googled it, and I had the biggest pack you ever seen in your life, and I still had shit hanging off of it. <laughs> <laughs> you looked like a hobo, probably. <laughs> oh, dude, I looked 100% homeless, man. <laughs> like, I bet you anything, that pack was 60 pounds or more. Wow. Like, I even had a kitchen sink. It was made by Seed to Summit. You hung it in a tree. That's awesome. <laughs> so I was literally carrying everything but the kitchen sink, even the kitchen sink. So on that hike is when you got your trail name? No, it was the next spring I was doing trail magic near uh, Bland, Virginia. Okay. Well, technically right in the middle of Bland, right there at Brushy Mountain Outpost, about two miles up that gravel road, right where the trail comes onto it. But I was doing trail magic there, and uh, one of my buddies was doing trail magic at the other road crossing about 14 miles away. And I met these, well, I had probably 13, 14 people there. There was a couple of section hikers, and the others were Sobo flip-floppers. And they talked me into hiking with them that 14 miles to where my friend was. And he was going to give me a ride back up to my truck. But uh, about, I don't know, three-tenths of a mile, not even a half mile, you get to this killer viewpoint that just looks straight down into the valley, and the sun was starting to set. So I really wanted to get a good picture of it. If We'll tell how you can follow me later on, but I'm a photographer by trade, too. And uh, I climbed up up in the tree to take a picture and then uh i got my picture and where i was really close to the road we had a couple day hikers come up and it was this old real older gentleman he was probably in his 70s he was up there with a cane in one hand and this and his i guess in his granddaughter or something in the other hand he set her down and they right after they walked under the, the limb i was on Land breaks, and I come crashing out of the tree, making all kinds of noise. They think it's a bear. Take off running, screaming, bear, bear, bear. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, whenever I hit the ground, I must have yelled or something or another because he turned straight around, laughed, and said, effing kids and their mischief these days. Nice. And all the hikers that talked me into going on a hike with them, they told me immediately after he said that. You got your trail now. Mischief. And it's been that ever since, and I haven't seen a heard of another person with that trail name. That's yet. awesome. That You fell out of the tree. Yeah. And they're thinking it's a bear. Yeah. And they take off running. Yeah. It Dude, that's like a Saturday Night Live skit. <laughs> <You're> right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, dude, I don't know how the hell I was able to walk after that because I fell probably 10 foot. That's crazy. Landed straight on my butt. Did you get the shot, the photo? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe one of them did. <laughs> but after that, I never seen them again. So I don't know if anybody, I guarantee you somebody took a picture. That's awesome. 
So let's talk, before we talk about the Appalachian Trail, by the way, do you say Appalachian or Appalachian? Appalachian. Okay. Technically, that's the right way, I've been told. But I say both. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your current adventure. What are you doing now? So now, I'm, I've always been a long-distance hiker. I've never done like a long bike tour or bike packing, anything like that. So I was working at Old Colony Ski Club in New Hampshire, and I met a bunch of people doing like bike routes and had all their gear on there. And when I was at Cross Trails before that, this guy that's now working there. What is Cross Trails? Cross Trails Hostel in uh, Knoxville, Maryland. Okay. Yeah. So I was working there before I went up to New Hampshire. But one of my best friends now showed up there riding from uh oregon all the way to dc oh wow that sparked my interest and then when i was in new hampshire i seen more people doing it so that sparked my interest and you weren't really a cyclist before that nah, I, I was a mountain biker before okay but i've never gone on a long trip like just two wheels in your bags so when i got back to harper's ferry I decided I wanted to do the gap in the CNO, but do it as a yo-yo. Go D.C. to Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh to D.C. And that's what I did. And I had the most amazing time of my life. Amazing weather. It was just, it was beautiful. Peak fall color. So I enjoyed it so much, I decided I wasn't done yet. And I rode back to D.C., once I got back to Crossrails, and I started making my way towards Key West, Florida, along the Trans-Virginia mountain route all the way across Virginia, and then the Eastern Divide route from Damascus, Virginia, all the way to Key West. About 3,400 3, miles total. The whole entire route for the Eastern Divide goes from Basically, Nova Gosha and Canada all the way to Key West. Holy crap. And if I don't get back on the AT next year, that's what I'm doing. You're going to finish it? going to finish it, but I got crazy plan for next year. How many miles are you in thus far? I just hit 1,000. Wow. So I'm at maybe 1,030, something like that. I hit 1,000 miles at uh, Suchis. And I started this technically November uh, 16th, but I technically started it a week and a half before that, but my second day I had an accident and it took me a, a week and a half waiting on a new rim. Like just a bike crash? Yeah, the car basically ran me off the road oh. into a ditch. I hit a rock, busted my tire, and bit my rim. What? Yeah. I th I, okay, you're the you're the best person to ask this because you've done a lot of backpacking and now you're doing a lot of bike packing. Yeah. What are some of the differences or challenges of of bike packing versus backpacking? All right. If if you're a normal, non crazy person and you bike pack at the normal time of year and not th this time of year in the winter like I am, really and truly, it's not that different. You can carry basically all your same gear. You just have to add something that's really heavy. And if you're an ultralight uh, 
backpacker like I am, it hurts you having to carry this. But that's the bike repair kit. You have to have a pump. You have to have multi-tool. You have to have little tire levers. You have to have extra tubes. Just all kinds of stuff that you would never carry on a through hike. And you have to know how to use them. And know how to use them. Thankfully, I would, that uh, guy, John, that just finished like biking all the way across, mm-hmm. you know how I said he started working there. Right. We became like brothers, real good friends. He builds e-bikes. Okay. Like from the ground up. Gotcha. So before I had to, the reason I didn't start this trip immediately after I got back to D.C., he want, wanted me to basically build a, ground, a bike from the ground up so I knew how to fix everything. Right. So he helped me out a lot with my planning and just what kind of gear I actually need. Okay. So that's the other difference. on When you're through hiking or long-distance hiking or weekend or whatever, you're carrying everything on your back. Now, there's two ways two kind of different styles when it comes to bike packing. You have touring, which is on, on paved roads and so on. And a lot of times with that, you have people that's going all the way across the country and zigzagging every, all over the place after that. So they have a big set of panniers on the back, a big bag on the back, and big panniers on the front because they're carrying basically everything they could possibly think of. Not all of them, but most of them that I've seen. And then you have what I'm doing, which is bike packing. That it my route is almost a hundred percent well not a hundred, probably about seventy percent of it is a hundred percent off road. Gotcha. I'm either on really rough gravel roads, smooth gravel roads. Like four service or, roads. Yeah. But I've also been on a ton of single track. Gotcha. That's where the difference between the two styles come in. Bikepacking, you're going to be on and off trails, like single track trails. If you have them big panniers sitting on the sides, you're going to get caught up in between two trees, wreck, and go over the handlebars. So, like my setup, I have the handlebar bag, the frame bag, and then two narrow dry bags on the sides and then one big bag on the top which makes me more streamlined gotcha and it also kind of makes me a little bit more aerodynamic and your bike has no suspension either does it no i have the redshift uh suspension seat post that helps a ton and then i have 2.35 inch uh mountain bike tires on it real deep thread and that helps smooth it smooth it out quite a bit Okay. Now, when I get on these really rough, like, gravel roads or really rough, rocky single track, like the ATMPA kind of rocky, yeah, it's it's pretty rough. Your wrist gets sore and everything. But this whole trip hasn't been like that. My bike has been a, the 100% perfect choice for this ride because most of the single track I was on before I hit the Trans-North Georgia route, with smooth trail, not real rough, terrible, not real terribly rough gravel roads. And I was a, like from DC to basically the Georgia border, I was averaging 30 to 40 a day. Wow. What do you think of North Georgia so far? 
The Trans North Georgia, I've heard over and over and over, which my route is the Trans North Georgia right. through Georgia. It's the exact same route. They don't turn away from it, each other at all. But I've heard many, many times that the Trans Virginia route and the North Georgia route are the hardest, like, races, shorter races on the East Coast. And a lot of people's told me the Trans-Virginia uh, Mountain route was harder. The people that told me that are so full of it. <laughs> I was doing, I did, that, I did that whole route 100% from uh, D.C. all the way to Damascus. And my shortest day was 20 miles. Except for when I was going into a town. Since I've been in Georgia, my biggest day is only two miles more than that, 22. Wow. These Georgia, like, it's not really even forest roads. It's like forest road beds. And it's just like, I call it dump truck rock. (laughs) Because it looks like somebody just went to the top of the hill and then just... Started up the hill just dumping these big-ass rocks everywhere. <laughs> and then I'm doing this in the winter, so there's no leaves on the trees. We call them they're, baby heads. They're all on the ground. So I'm flying down this trail, and then all of a sudden, boom, 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 boom bouncing fucking everywhere, about to go off the cliff because I can't see none of this shit. That's awesome. So I cannot, like, the leaves are covering everything. And sometimes I'm going through leaves halfway up my frame bag, which is pretty much right below my butt. Wow. <laughs> on some of these trails. And, uh, it, yeah. But this, this, the Trans North Georgia route is the hardest, like from through hiking to bikepacking, this is the hardest route I've ever done, I think. It's nice. just so much constant up and down, there's never level. And it's just, it's pretty rough, but I'm getting it done. Awesome. Tell me about your difficulties over the last couple of days. Oh, Lord, the last couple, no, the last week. Man, this this year's winter is just absolutely insane. Yeah. It's been I, in the I've, 20s every night. Well, it's not the 20s that I'm worried about. I can handle that. But every, like, for the last week or a little bit more, It'd be, like, two really pretty days, but temperatures in, like, the 20s. And then it would just be crazy, crazy weather, like 50-mile-per-hour wind. Rain. First time, it was five and a half inches of rain. And then the next two days was pretty. It was cold, but nice weather. And then it rained again two and a half inches. (laughs) And now... In a couple of days, it's going to be in the single digits. Nice. I know. We, we single both, digits. Uh, we both got nice. to get indoors. It's, it's crazy. Like, I cannot ride a bike when it's like six degrees at seven o'clock in the morning. I got hydraulic disc brakes. I've already had to deal with my brakes freezing once. And that was a crazy, crazy, crazy experience. Going down the hill like 40 mile an hour. Coming up to some curvy sections, hit the brakes, and then you realize you don't have any. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> What'd you do? Basically, I just, because this is when mountain biking come into play, I just kind of stood up and kind of made the bike skid. 
to slow down and then I would just use my uh heel of my shoe or whatever up against the tire. Oh. Okay, I that's mean, next level bike it, handling. It, yeah, it wasn't fun. I about lost it a couple times. But that was my only choice. Like I hit that and I had no pressure. It was just Yeah, I was kinda screwed. When I caught up with you yesterday. Yeah. Uh, you were having some chain problems? Yeah, my chain broke, and that had been the second time. And I hadn't come across a bike shop yet to get a new one. So, yeah, it's been a crazy 24 hours. He showed up, he called up to me, well, found me last night. He said he drove all over the damn place looking oh, for me. Oh, me? Talking about me? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I did. I drove, I drove <laughs> up this road <laughs> several <laughs> times and finally found you. Yeah, so basically I had to push my bike uphill the rest of the way here. Because when I put the chain back together, the only way I could, it was way too short. And basically I had none of my climbing gears. It was four, th four and up. Right. So fast forward, he shows up, and which was awesome as could be. Because that's the other big difference between bikepacking and thru-hiking. Bikepacking is lonely as crap, dude. Yeah, there's you, no trail not, magic for bikepackers, is there? Not really. Not unless it's, you got a following and people just want to meet up with you. But, yeah, you don't show up to a road crossing and there be coolers and stuff like that. Wow, this, this bikepacking adventure seems really cool. I look forward to following the rest of it on your social media which is like uh what uh i'm on all the social medias tiktok instagram youtube facebook mischief on the trail mischief on the trail yep and just make it simple i just got the same name for everything yeah that's good so let's switch gears all right let's go back to the at the Appalachian Trail. Okay. Uh, let's first, talk about your first through hike. What made you decide to go hike the trail in the first place? Hmm. Just wanted to do something cool, I guess. Like, I did that trip, and that, the AT wasn't my first, first through hike. I did that trip to Damascus, and then I went out the next February, did the Arizona Trail. Okay. And then I did most of the PCT in 2017. Oh, wow. So you weren't a newbie at all? No, 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 no. Okay. I was a newbie on the Arizona Trail, and that was a... I don't know how the hell I made it through that trail. Really? Were you <laughs> just, like, had almost I just, I, minimal experience? Yeah, I'd only done that one trip. And, and then... And on that trail, you got to carry a lot of water, and I, my pack was still, like, 50 pounds. Why the Arizona Trail? Were you in uh, that area? Yeah, I had friends out there and went over there for Christmas. And, yeah, they told me about it. Were you, like, did you have some sort of job or whatever that would allow you this, like, chunks of time off? Or Well, that was the first time I'd ever took a chunk of time off. But when I did that trip, I just started working three jobs, and I wanted to try to do what it, them, them people I met did. 
But I didn't have enough money to do like a 2,000 mile trail that year. Gotcha. So after I did the Arizona trail, that's what made me, that's when I found out about the Triple Crown. And that's what I decided I was going to go for, for three years. So in 17, it was fire. That was the crazy year with fire and ice. Everything was either snow covered or a little bit later in the year, everything was on fire. And so I, I went Sobo, but I had to skip about 480-ish miles altogether because of fires and so on. Then 2018, I decided after that, I was just going to do all three southbound. So in 18, I went back out to the PCT, wrapped up them miles. I skipped it because of fire, so the PCTA technically says I finished the trail. But in my mind, I didn't. Oh, because they gave everybody a free pass yeah, because of fires? On, on the PCT, if you have to skip trail because of a fire, it's, technically you cannot walk through it. Okay. So they still count it. Okay. Or at least they did back then. I don't know if that's still the case. And then so next thing on your list is the AT? Yeah. And I started it late because I wanted to do basically fall in New England, winter in, in the south. And... I was fine with that, like 100%, never had an issue. So you started at Katahdin? Yeah. Like in June? No, I started, I left Katahdin August 20th. Okay. So by the time I got into New Hampshire, it was like peak fall color, or starting to be pretty damn good color. And then I followed it all the way to Northern Virginia. Wow. It was beautiful. Yeah, New, New England in the fall, holy shit. Dude. Yeah. So many oranges and yellows and reds. They're it's, so, it's, it's just like it's a, the forest is on fire. They're so more, so much more vibrant than they are yeah, in the south. Yeah, 100%. Well. And then I made it about 1,800, well, about 1,700 miles. And that's when I had my accident. That, what happened? So basically... I was right outside of Atkins, Virginia. Is that Northern Virginia? Southern. Southern Virginia. Like my, it's in between uh, Bland and Marion. Okay. So I had just left Bland a couple of days, like maybe two days before. And I stopped at Chestnut Knob Shelter. It's like a fully enclosed shelter with a, like a cinder block fully enclosed shelter with a wooden door. What time of year again? Tell me. This was November 27th. Okay. Um, I stayed there because basically I had about 15 more miles or so to get to Bear Garden where I had a box. But I had already done almost 30 at that point, and I was just done. That section of Virginia, it brought back kind of like New England vibes in a way. Not rocky, but just crazy steep and then back down, crazy steep and then back down. Then that long climb up to Chestnut Knob. I got there and I was just, I was done. So I just set up and everything, but bad thing was there was, uh, they was calling for severe weather, which was a whole lot of ice and quite a bit of snow. And temperatures dropping down close to zero. Oh. At night, no more than 15 degrees during the day. 
for the next three or about uh, next two or three days. High temperatures in like 15? Yeah. Wow. That hurts. Yeah. So basically when I, I, I was fine throughout the night. I had a zero degree quilt and I had the gear to keep me safe. Put it that way. But what happened later on in the day just shows no matter how experienced or what gear you have, things can happen. And never think you know it all. Because especially in the winter, you don't. Trust me. You got me on pins and needles, bro. <laughs> what happened? So the next morning, it did exactly what they said. It literally on the steps outside the shelter. Mm-hmm. It was almost a half inch of ice. Oh, wow. Not and snow, just ice. No, yeah. The wind had blew the snow off right there. Okay. You get After you get off the steps, it's anywhere from 10 inches of snow to 5 inches of snow, depending on the elevation. So, but this way, it was really, 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 really slick and just dangerous as could be. But I was out of food. I only had about a tenth of a jar, like, if you could see my fingers, mm-hmm. that much peanut butter, so like three or four scoops. Like a half inch of peanut butter in the jar? Yeah, and then one bar. One bar, like a like a it was cliff like a, bar or whatever? It was either a cliff or a kind bar, okay. one of them two. Yeah, yeah. That's all I had. So, and I had a box at Bear Garden House. How far Hostel. away was that? Like 16, 17 miles. Oh, wow. That's still a long day. Yeah, but it was fine. Like, I had snow gators and spikes and all that. But I kind of messed up. When I got when I got down to the water, first water source, it was a pond, and you couldn't tell where the snow ended and where the pond was, so I just completely skipped it. I was afraid I'd misjudge and just fall in the pond. Well, I get to the next shelter about thir- about 12 miles away, not Mall Branch. There's not much snow. There's no ice, really. So I take my spikes off and take my shoes off for a minute and just sit there. And then I put my shoes back on, my pack's sitting inside the shelter. And I walk down to get water. The only thing I take with me is my trekking poles and my water filter and my bottles. Get down there, the creek's kind of iced over, but it's not too bad. I take the trekking pole, bust open the ice, bend down to get my water. When I stood up, I kind of lost my balance and misstepped. Stepped on a rock that had ice on it, and I went head over heels as hard as you do when you slip on ice, and hit the back of my head on a rock. I woke up, this was probably... I don't know, 11, 12 o'clock in the day. One, at 1 o'clock at the very latest. And when I woke up, the sun was going down. It, like it had done, popped over the ridge. And you were f- knocked out for several hours. Yeah. Oh, oh, my God. Yeah, and I didn't even remember all this for a while. And then it just slowly came back to me. But... Basically, when I woke up from my knees down, was in the water. And that day, it never got above 12 degrees. So basically, I pulled myself up, like 
push myself up the hill to get my legs out of the water. Once stand up, I couldn't walk. Was it painful or they just numb? It was both. Like, I couldn't tell I was standing up, and I would just fall over. Holy shit, bro. And I knew something was wrong. So, well, obviously, I knew something. We'd been in the water for hours. So I had the idea to try to take off my shoes and just see what it looked like. Mm -hmm. When I did that, went to do that, it was pulling everything with it, including my skin. Like, basically, my socks and my shoes were froze to my feet. I couldn't walk, and there was, I don't know, probably like two, two and a half inches of snow there, not much. Nothing compared to up on the ridge. But I'm already soaking wet from my knees down. Now I have to crawl, point two, back up to the shelter. End up getting soaking wet, and I never make it to my pack. Basically, I get to the shelter. I can't stand up. Every time I do, I fall. So basically, I just crawled up to the step I could and then just tried to pull myself in. But come to find out, I'd lost a shit ton of blood, like a lot. The whole back of my head was completely busted open. Oh. I didn't know it at that point. So I didn't. You didn't even know you had a head injury. No, nah, I was just dizzy as fuck. I, I thought it was just where I got. Yeah. I honestly thought I was hyperthermic in a way. But thankfully I wasn't at that point. But next morning I was 100% hyperthermic. Basically, I never made it to my pack. I got about halfway in the shelter and I passed out again. Or lost con consciousness or whatever it may have been. But I didn't wake up until daylight the next morning. And I wake up 100% hyperthermic and shivering beyond control. Because basically, I, I laid there all night soaking wet. And nobody's around. Nobody. I, I don't even see how I just got it here. But, but I woke up. I knew I was in trouble. I knew I had to get warm. I finally made it to my pack. When I took my socks off, my feet were basically from my calf down were just like pink white, like the telltale sign. Like waxy, of, the waxy yeah. white. <clears throat> the telltale sign, you're at least getting frost nip. Right. So I, I knew I was in trouble at that point, but I still didn't 100% know or even think it was frostbite. I just saw... I just froze it, basically. I didn't even know that's what frostbite was at that point. But I got my quilt out, got all my dry clothes out. I put every single thing I had on and got in my bag. And you still have no food? No food. Later in the day, it's about 12 o'clock. I'm finally warm. I finagle my rain gear on. And I decide I'm going to try to crawl out of there. I'm only four miles from the road. And the hostel is not far from there. So you still can't physically walk? No. When I tried to walk in, it just hurt like hell. So that shelter, all the snow was gone. It was just kind of like water and mud, basically. But I basically 
that e that that evening or during the day, it got up to about forty five fifty degrees. Yeah, it got up to about forty five fifty degrees. So, I just basically went with just my rain gear. So if I didn't make it for whatever reason, I still had like dry stuff. Right. So was this like a passing storm? It got really bad, and then it got yeah, better. Like it got it got really bad for like two and a half days. Okay. And I was walking in it when I got to Chestnut Knob. Yeah. But it turned really bad that night. Okay. And then it lasted all that day. And then the next day it started warming up. Gotcha. So that's when I decided it was safe to try to get the hell out of there. Because nobody, this shelter is right beside the trail. You cannot go back northbound or southbound without seeing right inside it. So somebody, I thought for sure, a day hiker, another sobo, somebody would come by. Nobody did. So I, I, my, I had a spot, like a Garmin thing. Phone and battery bank, all of them was dead because where I was knocked out, I never got it into my pocket or a warm place. So I had no way to contact anybody. So the cold, the cold weather kind of killed your batteries. Yeah, because they was just laying up there on the floor of the shelter in the bay. Because I needed to charge my phone, but I never made it up there. But so yeah. you're in the shelter, hoping yeah. somebody's going to come by. Yeah, and nobody ever did that 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 day. So. About 12 o'clock, I decided I was going to try to crawl out. And this is day two? Yeah. Okay. So I knew something was wrong, but at that point, I still didn't know it was frostbite. This shelter, like I was saying, it's right beside the AT. You can't go by it and not see it. But it's also down in kind of like a little valley in a way, and it's full of rhododendrons, so it's completely shaded. And you got to go up this little climb up to the ridge, and then you drop down to the road. Uh, I got, I was moving slow, but I was getting there. Crawling. Crawling, yeah. And I was fine until I got into the sun. The sun thawed out my feet, mm. and that was the most excruciating pain I'd ever been in my life. Like, I've herniated my L3 and my L4. I've ruptured a disc. I've broken my leg in five places. This did not fucking compare. Wow, so they were actually frozen until you got into the sun. Yeah. Ugh. And that's when you feel it is when it 100% when that. That's like 10 out of 10 pain. Yeah. Probably 100 out out of 10. So basically, after that happened, it was crawl one step, cry like a, a river, basically. No no shame in it. Like, I was doing more crying than crawling. And I basically knew there was no way in hell I was going to get down to the road before even midnight. I didn't have my pack with me because I, I knew it would just make it harder for me to crawl. I'd only made it maybe point three or four. You left at, your pack at the shelter? Yeah. And how far was it to the road? Like four miles. Uh, that's a yeah. risk right there, too. Yeah, but I knew if it got bad, I'd just turn around. 
I I knew for a fact I would know if I could do it within the first mile. And my plan, if I couldn't, was just to turn around and go back and just wait. Are you crawling like hands and knees? Yeah. And just trying not to let your feet hit the ground? Pretty much, because every time they hit, it, it sent a pain all the way up my spine. And so basically, I didn't even make it to the mile cutoff point. Made it maybe point three at the most, and I turned around and went back. And I just did my best to stay warm and just try not to want to cut my feet off. Because it, it, once it, they thawed, the pain never went away. Mm. And then, so I go back to the shelter. Still no food. Next day, it turns to shit again. Day Start, three. Starts snowing. Damn sure not crawling out then. Nobody. Not a single person shows up. This is December 1st. This happened November 28th. December 2nd, still snowing. Still no bay. 10 o'clock on day three at night, these two sobos show up, Hunger and Rocket. Uh, uh, 10 p.m.? 10 p.m. Cold as shit. Had you been feeling the effects of no food? Oh, yeah. Dude, I, I, I was getting weak as fuck. Did you have water? Mm-mm. I, I had to have water just because where I went down there. And then I went, crawled back down there later on. Okay, so 10 p.m., two guys or two hikers show up. Yeah, and I'm so out of it because later on I found out I almost died within that night and the next night. But... Basically, I was, my body was eating itself. I, my feet were basically rotten. And I had lost a couple points of blood. Like, they, when I finally got to a hospital, they had to give me two and a half points, which is a lot of blood. Because I never wrapped it up or knew I had it until I woke up that second morning. And by then, it was just a bunch of ice but yeah they showed up it was about 10 o'clock it was still snowing they thought i was just a homeless person trying to hang out in a shelter and to begin with i couldn't really move i could barely talk and a little girl this girl it was a father and son a father and daughter and the little girl was only like 12 years old and doing a winter sobo Cool as shit. And they actually finished. They finished uh, January 15th, wow. 2019. But uh, the little girl just knew. You could tell she knew something was wrong. And she kept coming over, not saying anything, but just kept coming over. And then eventually, every time she would leave, she would go over to her dad. Eventually, they came over and like and just flat out asked me, What's going on with you? Like, you're on one side of the shelter, they're on the other side of they're the shelter? They're setting up their tent outside. Oh, okay. They didn't get, they were so worried about me, they wouldn't, didn't even set up in the shelter with it snowing. Like, afraid? Yeah. Okay. Because I'm just laid over in the corner, shit everywhere. It was, it was a mess, dude. Yeah. But, uh, 
But yeah, they've once they find out what's going on, they're a hundred percent apologetic, going like just saying so sorry. And so they, they asked they, you like, what's going on? Were you able to tell them? I just told them I couldn't walk. I think I got frostbite, or I got something going on. I slipped in the creek the other day, and that's basically all I had to say. They knew right then and there I wasn't bullshitting. And they wanted to go get help that night, but it was, like, already close to midnight. It was still snowing. It was only, like, 15 degrees. It was cold as shit. It was both shivering, and they decided they wanted to go get help. I had already been there for days. One more night, I thought, would not kill me. And I basically begged them not to go out because I didn't want them to have an accident and ended up just like how I am. And they finally agreed to it, but they left at like 6 o'clock the next morning and went to get help. But help didn't arrive until 5 p.m. the next day. What was that, like a search and rescue? Pretty much. And so I went pretty much five days with no food. And then they took me to Whitfield Hospital and they cut off my my clothes and my shoes. They took them, took my socks off. My whole foot was basically black on both mm. feet. And they basically told me I was going to lose my feet and walked out the room. I felt like a, pretty much like a cancer patient. Because I've had to deal with that a couple of times. And every time I've went with somebody that had it, they would go in, say, you got cancer, and then immediately walk out the room because they didn't want to deal with the effect of it. Wow, just let it sink in. That's basically what they did. And What's going through your mind? I'm going fucking crazy, dude. Like, I'm a, I'm a long-distance hiker adventurer, and then you're telling me I ain't going to be able to do that. Like, and they told this you, like, is, we're, we're going to cut like, your feet off? Like, this isn't a hobby for me. It's 100% my life. And the last, you'll find out later on, like, the last, ever since then, it's been 100% my life. This community, this lifestyle is 100% me. It's not what I want to do or what I have to do or a hobby. It, it, it's my life. Okay, so you made it to the hospital, but let's back up just a little bit. When rescuers or whoever was called or came to the shelter, did they were they able to recognize that you had frostbite or hadn't eaten in three days? Were you able to communicate to that to anybody? Well, kind of tried to, but they was basically, I looked like a homeless bum, basically, trying to live in the shelter. But they never bothered to look at, basically, they never bothered to look in my pack to even verify that I was what I was saying. Okay. So they was basically treating me like a homeless person, basically. Okay, instead of an injured through hiker. Yeah, or a, instead of an injured person. Oh, yeah, person. In general. Yeah, so, yeah, after that, like, after they showed up and everything, everything from that is kind of a blur because of all the shots and medicine they gave me and stuff. Mm-hmm. It just had me, I was, 
I didn't even know who I was at that point. But you made it to a hospital. Yeah. And I made it to Withville Hospital. And they cut, cut my pants, my shoes, my socks, everything off. And when they did, probably about 80% of my, both my feet was just black. It looked like a rotten corpse, basically. Really? God, it stunk. Holy shit. Oh, you could smell it? Yeah. Frostbite basically is a burn from the inside out. And and you could see it at this point? Yeah. Everything that was black was what they call deep frostbite. That's the kind that goes all the way to the bone. What are you thinking when, when you look at your feet and see that they're black? I, I freaked the fuck out. And I'm just yelling, like, I can't lose my feet. I can't lose my feet. Like, I was saying, like, this, this is my life. I don't know anything other And you're alone. You don't have, like, adventuring. friends or family or anybody else around. Oh, yeah, I had friends and okay. family. So they got but, in touch with But not people. near there. No, but with you in the room. Not at that time, no. Okay. So they cut, the, cut that off and everything. And like I said, I just felt like a cancer patient because they cut them off. Their eyes went huge, their jaw dropped, and then they walked out the room, didn't say another word. The whole time I'm in this hospital, they can't give me any fluids or any food because they don't know if I'm going to get operated on. They don't know what the hell is wrong with me. They've never seen it before. So they send me to Roanoke. They don't fly me, they drive me. And Roanoke does the exact same thing. And then they don't fly me again, they drive me from Roanoke all the way to Winston-Salem, North Carolina at Wake Forest Baptist Hospital, one of the most premier burn centers in the country. Frostbite, like I said, is a burn from the inside, basically. So that was the best place I could have possibly ended up. When I got there, everything changed 100% for the better, like, care-wise. Okay. But basically, when I got to the hospital, this was the next day. Like, from 5 o'clock is when, around 5, 4 or 5 o'clock is when I got rescued. I was at one hospital almost all night, no food. They sent me to Roanoke. I'm there for, I don't know, until midday the next day. And I don't get to Wake Forest until the night of the other day. So this is damn near a week with nothing in my body, food-wise. I get to Wake Forest. They put me in ICU hook all kinds of stuff up to me, and then they go, oh, shit. Basically, my heart was damn near gone. Like, it was... So that's when they start doing blood tests and monitoring and things like they, that. They hooked, they hooked me. I would, they hooked me up like somebody with some kind of crazy disease going on. I had needles and little sensors. I had shit all over me, dude. But 
basically they immediately, immediately after they found out I hadn't had anything, they immediately put me on fluids and started getting stuff. Cause basically they told me like the insides, my insides was basically eating itself. I had lost almost 30 pounds. Was eating all the fat, all the tissue, everything. Wow. And that's what your body does when you're starving. It's trying to get food from somewhere. So from that point, once you got like some definitive care, how did the process go in terms of like, okay, well, here's what we're going to have to do next. So I was in the hospital for three weeks. Well, no, not, not three weeks to start with. I was there for about eight days, five days. Okay. Almost a week or just a hair over a week. That, that whole stay is kind of a blur because they had me on a lot of painkillers and a lot of, I was, they was handing me like six, seven different pills every day. And so needless to say, I was pretty out of it because they didn't want me feeling what I had going on. And I was thankful for that, but I knew, knew a hundred percent once I was able to, I wasn't taking this stuff. And even on trail now, I don't carry any kind of pain medicine. But basically they just put me on some hardcore, hardcore antibiotics and just tried to manage the pain because, because the they, yeah, at the next day after I got in there, I seen the actual doctor. And does he, he have the conversation like, hey, we're going to have to amputate some stuff? Yeah, but they told me, and I later on, I completely fucking lose it, dude, because of this. Basically, he tells me, we're going to have to operate, but not right now. We have to wait a few more days before uh we can because you have to let frostbite completely run its course and then operate. Mm. So, and this is also when I found out they don't take my insurance. So they sent me home until that. So I'm home for two days and I'm trying to take care of it exactly like they told me. And come to find out it was nothing I did. It was just that kind of frostbite turns into this sometimes. And unfortunately, one of them times was with me. But basically, my right foot was not looking right. And I go to the hospital. And what do you mean by not looking right? It just, it didn't, already didn't look right. It was just, it looked different than the day before. And they were still black? Oh, yeah, they were still black, but it was just... It was just different. Okay. It's hard to explain. It was because, yeah, it was still black, but it was just like skin tearing kind of stuff. Mm. And that's, gangrene eats through you. Eats whatever it's on, basically. And basically, that's what was going on with my foot. It had gangrene? Yeah. Like, this is from your toes to how far up your foot? About medways okay. on my on my right foot. Okay. So I go to the hospital. Begin with, they told me it's just frostbite, 
And then I went back the next day, and they're like, holy shit, yeah, it's gangrene. Mm. And they, this time, they fly me. Could you smell it? Dude, my feet stunk the whole fucking time. It wasn't no different smell was. What does that smell like? Have you ever been around something that's just decaying? Like rotten meat? Like uh, right, old when, hamburger meat? When No, whenever you have that kind of frostbite, it no longer gets any blood, so it's decaying like your body would if you're underground. So think about... Like, like roadkill? Like yeah, a dead animal? Think about roadkill. Ugh. It's decaying meat. <laughs> okay, it's decaying, decaying people matter. I don't know how you put it, but that's what happens with that, and gangrene is even worse. Okay, all right, keep going. So uh, they fly me finally, no more four or five hour ride to Wake Forest and an hour later I'm in the emergency room and not in the emergency room in the operating room the last time I talked to him he said I was just going to lose my toes I wake up screaming bloody murder because they didn't time the medicine right and that didn't kick in until about 30 minutes, so I had to feel what it felt like to have something chopped off for 30 goddamn minutes, and oh my fucking God. Use my language. So but, after the surgery, ooh. you woke up and were feeling, was feeling the pain. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't give me whatever soon okay. enough. Uh. So I woke up feeling all that. No longer frostbite, feeling something being solved basically off because i guess that's how they do it dude i'm i gotta open another beer <laughs> it, it was rough but thankfully it 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 set in but the whole 30 minutes or so i never looked at my feet they get me into the room they pull me over into the bed they cover me up as soon as they walk out the room i uncover and I see both my feet in cast, and they're a hell of a lot shorter than both just my toes. Ugh. I freak the hell out. I can't I'm even screaming. imagine that. I'm screaming bloody mother, where's my goddamn doctor? I was, I was cussing a storm. I was so mad. Because they told me I was just losing my toes. Why in the heck do I only have like a quarter of one foot and not even half of the other? Like they never told me. Like they could easily told me it's no longer going to be just your toes when they was taking me to the operating room. So I would at least right. known. I mean, I mean, there is the possibility but, they didn't know till they got in there. Yeah, I guess, but but. Mm. The, so how how do that's that's when how do you progress from that, or how did you? I didn't for a while. I just went downhill. What what do you mean by downhill? Basically, I was dating this girl for about five years. We was engaged. We was going to finish get married whenever I finished the AT. She came to see me the day after my surgery, and. I'm so glad I didn't marry that girl because I guess she thought she was going to have to take care of me. She left you? Yeah. What the fuck? With, with oh, sorry. With half, with half of her shit and about, with all of her shit and about half of mine. And you so, still can't even walk? No. Nah. 
I'm 100% wheelchair bound. I couldn't even go back to my own place. I had to have a ramp basically before they would let me go home. Because my place, my grandmother's, both of them had steps. And you can't get up and down steps with a wheelchair. What'd you do? So my, I ended up going to my grandmother's. And uh, the whole time I was in the hospital, I kept asking them, you think I'll be able to hike? And they kept telling me no. Every single person I talked to, even the very first, the person that was talking to me about prosthetics and everything else, they even told me, just get that out of your mind because you're not going to be able to do it. You might be able to hike, but you're not going to be able to hike thousands of miles as an amputee. That lifestyle is behind you. You need to just live your life the best you can, even if, if it's in a wheelchair. Did you accept that? In the begin with? In the very begin with, no. But when I got home, everybody was telling me the same thing. Yeah, I completely, I got the most depressed I've ever been in my life. Even thought about ending it a couple of times. Because I couldn't even fucking take a bath by myself. I had to have help. I couldn't, I couldn't get, there was so much shit I couldn't do in to begin with. I couldn't reach up to get a glass or anything because I couldn't stand up. My feet are in cast. I can't stand on that. And I, I tried a couple of times, and I just would fall on the floor. It's just too slick. Did they, did they like, eventually heal? I yeah. mean, obviously, they eventually healed, but, like... Yeah, they don't... Amputate... That's the thing about amputations. They usually take three to four years to fully heal. What? Yeah. To 100% heal up. It can take up to three to four years. So at what point do you have a conversation with some kind of professional about, uh, you know, prosthesis when or prosthetics? I, in the very begin with, when I was at uh, the hospital. And did that, did that like, move forward in a... Yeah, a little bit. But they, they just gave me, like, these trainer prosthetics in a way. It was just kind of like rocker shoes, like a, like a rocking chair. Mm-hmm. Imagine that as a mm-hmm. shoe. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it told me that's all they could par- pretty much give me. That's all I needed. At that time, amputees, well, not at that time, but amputees are graded depending on their ability, their lifestyle, and how ath- athletic or whatever. It goes from zero, which means you're wheelchair bound, up to it's either four or five, which means you're basically an athlete in some way, shape, or form. At that point, they were seeing me as a one or zero, whatever. I'm 100% wheelchair bound. I just need to be able to stand up to reach shit. They was not pushing me to do more with my life at all. And that's what everybody that has shit like stuff like this happen to them that's why so many of them y'all you see them 20 years later still in the wheelchair because they had nobody telling them that they can do this they had no support saying they can live their life the way they want to 
The prosthetics you have on now that you showed me look pretty freaking sophisticated. How do you get from the zero to that? So basically for my last surgery on my right, my last amputation was February 14th. It took me until almost the end of July to even go to physical therapy because I just kept thinking, what's the fucking point? Mm. You just didn't want to go. I didn't. You kind of. I was up. just. I just. I had a hundred percent given up. Gotcha. And that's hard for me to admit because I don't give up on anything. And you'll learn this. I'm one of the most determined people. Most people that will ever meet or have met. I've been told that a million times. But I had a hundred percent given up and. Everybody was 100% supporting that. Supporting you giving up? Yeah. You're just going to be in a wheelchair? Yeah. Screw that, bro. Come on. What happened? What? How'd you get out of it? I don't know. I just decided I was going to go to physical therapy. But you had nothing to lose, so might as well go. It was end of July, but I had this idea, and they thought I was fucking insane. But later on, two and a half weeks later, they told me I was a genius. Because I went to physical therapy, rolling up in my wheelchair with a 20, a 20 pound pack sitting in my lap and told them, I'm going, I'll do this. I'm doing this without this on my back the whole entire time. They, they looked at me like I was crazy and even told me, you ain't going to be able to do that. So you show up to physical therapy day one with a pack, a backpack, 20 pound backpack. Yeah, and I haven't been taking a, a single step <laughs> in over a year. Dude, this should be well, a movie. about seven months. This is a movie. Yeah, so... Keep going. So, basically, eventually, after going back and forth, they agreed to it. But they told me, you're going to fall and bust your ass and, or bust your butt. You're going to hurt yourself. Guess what? I didn't. Never fell a single time. I was shaky as could be. I could only take one or two steps, but damn it, I never fell down. So somewhere along the line, you went from depression, giving up, like contemplating suicide yeah. to like, fuck that shit. Pretty much. I'm turning on the determination button. Pretty much. Okay. I love it. So People need to hear that, dude. Yeah. So now you see what I said. That... And I, it's been like that numerous times since I became an amputee. Wow. So, basically, they had me doing all kinds of stuff. And event, after about five days or so, it just started get, becoming really, really easy. Like I and I was doing it from day one with the pack on my back. And you had some prosthetics on then. They fitted you with something? No, I just had them rocker shoes. Okay. So basically they told me I was crazy in the begin with, and then they kicked me out of physical therapy after two and a half weeks because they said there's nothing else they can do for me. I had everything they was having me do, even with the pack on my back. I could do. The only thing I couldn't do was bend down and touch my toes. I would fall over. That's the only time, even today, I will still fall because I don't have anything in front of there gotcha. to keep me. Yeah. The prosthetics, they flex. Mm-hmm. 
And once you go too far, you just tumble over. Yeah. That's why if you see me sitting on the ground or nailed down how I stand up, Mm -hmm. that's why. Because I can't lean forward or I'll go roll down the hill. (laughs) I've done that a couple times. But, uh, yeah, that's the only time I fell. The whole entire two and a half weeks was whenever I would try. And they was telling me not to try to. But that was the only thing I couldn't do. How do you get from those rocker shoes to what you have now? Prove them the hell wrong. That's basically what I did. Oh, and then they're like, okay, maybe we've got something better. So after that, I I was a zero. They moved me up to one. So that gave me a little bit better prosthetics. But they was fiberglass. And this is all somebody else's just objective judgment or subjective judgment about your uh potential exactly ah that's crazy yeah that's crazy yep so that gave me a different kind of prosthetics there was a little bit similar to these but nothing like it It was all one piece and it was fiberglass so before then though before all that happened, I didn't get my first actual pair of prosthetics until January of 21. So back up a little bit before we jump to that. When they kicked me out of physical therapy, I went home, started a fire, and threw my wheelchair in it. What? To force me to you- not be able to have a, cl- a crutch. Were you drinking? <laughs> no, I wasn't drinking at all. So, I, got I, mean, out, did they look- I got out the car, rolled down the hill on, in my wheelchair, and then we had a, like a little brush pile down there. I just lit the fire. And like then, a burn pile? Yeah, I lit it and rolled my wheelchair into it. And then I crawled my happy ass back up to the, to the house and told my grandmother to look. And she told me I was fucking insane. Why did you do that? And I told her. Were you hearing Rocky music in your head? I don't know what I was was hearing, but I was not stepping foot back in that wheelchair for no reason. What's next? What happened next? (laughs) I need some popcorn. So, so they kicked me out of physical therapy. Now what? How am I going to get back to how I want to be? Well, my grandmother's driveway is point two downhill and point two uphill. And then the, it hits the road. It's a real quiet road for about a mile and a half. So love my grandmother to death because I would go down the, down the ramp walking. I get halfway down that hill and then I can't walk back up. She would have to literally come in the car, go point one down her driveway, pick me up and bring me to the house. Then I'd just be crawling around because I'm trying, I'm trying to do this, walk on them and everything, not even a full year after my surgery. Was it just like from soreness? Yeah. Okay. Like it, that's what I was building up was the tolerance the, okay. the, or the soreness. And honestly, to this day, if I think, if I look back and I didn't, go to physical therapy like that, and I didn't do all the stuff I did, I guarantee you I wouldn't be how I am now. So you're not just dealing with the inability to walk. You're dealing with pain Mm -hmm. as you're trying to walk. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
That's why I couldn't make it up the hill. Okay. Back up to the house. It would just be be hurting so bad I couldn't stand on it. It wasn't a whole lot different. Well, if any long-distance hikers are listening to this. They are. Imagine your very first day you haven't hiked for six months, and you go out and you try to push 30 miles. (laughs) How your feet feel at the end of the day times that by probably 20. Mm. That's what it would feel like. Like it, it would feel like I'm pushing my feet too far every single day. But... Every single day, I did that as many times as a day as I could. That and was a, your mission. And eventually, my mission to begin with was just to make it to the bottom of the daggone hill. And eventually, I did. And then my mission was to get to the bottom of the hill and then make it back up because I, it took me, took me about a week, no, about two weeks to be able to go down and up. And then I got to where I could do a mile. That took a while. And then I got to where I could do two miles. And then I decided I was going to go try to do a hike. Like a off, like a in the woods hike? No, like the AT kind of hike. Oh. So I live in Virginia. Like a through hike? Not yet. Okay. Okay. Soon after. But so basically the hardest hike I could possibly think of that was near me was Dragon Tooth in near Catawba, Virginia. Okay. It's part of the Virginia Triple Crown, mm-hmm. and a half a mile of it is known to be white mountainish-ish. Mm-hmm. It's not too crazy, but yeah. Yeah, it's a thing. Yeah, so I took the easy way up from the Boise Elk Trail. Smooth trail, it just winds for two miles. And then I still had to do the scrambly part. And you're still on the rocker type shoes. Yeah. Okay. That was sketchy as shit coming back down. You can't, <laughs> you can't lean forward at all. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I get up it and I go all the way to the very tip top of that thing. It took me 10 years to get off of that thing, by the way. <laughs> wait, wait, what? I went all the way to the tip top of the tooth. And then but it took me forever to cl- wiggle my way back down that. That was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. But that and that's all thanks to my buddy Snacks. Snacks? Yeah, he picked me up Christmas Day and said we're going to go do Dragon Tooth because he was the only one crazy enough to take me up there. Yeah, we need crazy it. friends, man. So shout out to him. He's hit that dude's awesome. Shout out to Snacks. And you'll you'll see just how awesome this dude is here in a minute. So he takes me up there. My feet sore as fuck after we get to the top. So. I brought my Mountain Lord Designs Duo with mid just to tarp with me because it was, it was wintertime. It's Christmas Day and it was windy as shit. So I set it up and I just sit in there in my quilt and just got warm. And You then, weren't afraid of the cold? No. That was, I mean, I if was, anybody should be afraid I was of the cold. 100%. <laughs> you'll see here in a minute. I was 110%. Pushing myself not to have PTSD or be scared of something I love doing. But, but, all right, let me ask you this. Were you at least mentally battling that? Yeah. Okay. A hundred percent. Okay. And, but it officially went away after I did something. Okay. So when we, 
after we sit there for about an hour. Bro, I need a cigarette. I don't even smoke. <laughs> we sit there about an hour, and then that's when I found out I have a long, long road ahead of me if I want to do what I want to do. And that's like through hike? Yeah. Okay. But going, no, I'm just meaning going downhill. Oh. Now downhill isn't a problem, but it took me damn near three years to figure it out. Mainly because I don't have, I, none of my close friends that I hang out with, they're not amputees. So I had to learn all this shit on my own. My prosthetic person has never seen an amputee like me. Okay, so you're up on Dragon's Tooth and trying to figure out how to get back down. Yeah, so it wasn't really the figuring out getting back down. It's just going down hurt a whole lot more, and it was just hard to go downhill with them kind with them shoes I had on. But they wouldn't give me anything else at that point. And it basically it took me two hours at the most to get from Boy, the Boy Scout trailhead up to the top. It took me five and a half hours to get down that damn thing. Big difference. But after that, I go back home for Christmas, New Year's. My buddy snacks again. He's like, you really want to get back to the AT, don't you? And I'm like, yeah. He said, I work Monday through Friday morning. If you want to, we'll start. I'll start you in Parisburg, and we can split it up in 20-mile sections over the weekends which was fucking perfect because I knew I could do at least five miles. Five miles a day? Yeah. Okay. That's crazy to think now. Holy cow. <laughs> yeah, man. There's a lot of people that would struggle with that with all their feet. Yeah. No, it's just from going, going from 7 o'clock in the morning to dark and only going five miles to what I do now. Oh, that, wow. That's... It took me all day to do five miles because it'd be like half a mile to take my shoes off because my feet would be hurting. Wow. Yeah, this is in January of 2020. I started in Parisburg, and we do 20-mile sections on the weekends. Once, about the fifth one, and it's now almost February, and mind you, I was doing... I was doing three days out in the woods every weekend in January. So I was pushing myself to deal with the winter and the cold and everything. And I definitely got snow a couple of times. What were you doing during the week? Just hanging out at home? Trying to walk. Right. Just My whole world at this moment revolved around walking. Because I was trying like hell to... Basically, I wanted to finish the trail. I wanted it, if I, it couldn't be a through hike, I wanted it to be a two-year section hike. Okay. Or a two-year lash. I had about 500. Lash is a long-ass section hike. Yeah. So, basically, we started in Parisburg, which is about 60 miles north of where I had my accident. I'd, I'd done six, 60 miles of this already. But... The last time Snacks dropped me off, it was in the section that I had my accident in. Uh, did that mess with your head? Yeah. Yeah. So I camped at the shelter 
I went down and sit at that creek. Really? I got there early. Like, it was, like, 12, 1, maybe a little earlier. I just sit down there at the creek all evening, just looking and thinking. Was there anybody else around? Nope. Nobody. I just sit there and sit there and sit there. And when I stood up, that's the day I put it behind me. Wow. And now I'd be damned if I'd let anybody feel sorry for me in any way. And I push everything I can now to try and inspire other people to be like how I am in, with their dreams and what they want to do in life. Wow, you went back to the scene of the crime and just dealt with it and left it laying. Pretty much. And I've been back through there two times since then and it didn't bother me at all. Wow. And when and the main reason I was looking at the creek and this is I had to do something kind of crazy to get a hundred percent moved from it. Like, it was snowy and everything that day, too. Almost the same conditions, just warmer. And there was ice there. But I had micro spikes on and stuff. I walked across the creek just to prove to myself that it was an accident. Okay. And from that day on, ice and everything don't bother me. Have you met any other amputees? Not amputees that through hike. Amputees that hike, amputees that run, like Olympic athletes. I got a lot of amputee friends. And so many of them tell me like they wish they had a determination that I do because they just don't have it in them. Oh. And I, I, it's hard for me to, to believe that. Because if you really want to do something, there should be no reason why you can't do it. True. How do you get to these fancy things? Well, the rocker shoes broke. Okay. I went back to a prosthetic place. They told me I was going to get an upgrade. That, the, basically me hiking anyways. And then the physical therapy moved me up to one. So I could get... Basically, if you go on Amazon and you look up uh, AFO prosthetic, it'll be fiberglass and it's one piece, and it's just like a little thing that hooks to the hooks to your leg and then goes down into your uh, your shoe. But they're fiberglass. So by th this time, COVID happened, and I made it to 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 Damascus. Well, no, not Damascus. Grayson Highlands. When I hit the Grayson Highlands, that's when COVID became a thing and ATC was telling everybody to get the heck off trail. The hiking community was getting torn into. Yeah. It was just a mess. Not only in the real world, but on trail too. It was just a teetotal, different kind of, it was a, it was a crazy year. Yeah, because everybody had their hearts set on hiking the trail and all of a sudden it's like, oh, all oh, the trail's closed. Yeah. So fa fast forward a couple months, July actually, I kept I kept walking and walking 
and walking with that pack on my back the whole entire time I was at home. We had a, a little trail, rail to trail called the New River Trail. I threw like that thing six times. And I finally, I got up to where I could do eight miles a day. So in July, everybody was going outdoors. Everybody was doing all kinds of stuff, but they're telling us we can't be on trail through hiking. I said, screw that. I went back to Damascus and I hiked to Irwin. The main reason I just went to Irwin, my prosthetics broke. Mm. How far was that? Hundred like 20 miles and they broke both of them broke in half so i go back home this is when i find out i shouldn't have burnt the wheelchair <laughs> oopsies they take the prosthetics to get them repaired and they don't give me spare ones so here i am no prosthetics no wheelchair i i can't do i can't do nothing but Thankfully, they gave us a wheelchair I could use. But it sucked being back in the wheelchair. And it sucked even more because I was trying to finish the daggone trail. And it was almost like I was... It was almost worse than having to do the trail as a section hike because section hikers... I have a lot of respect for section hikers because they, they're on trail just long enough to get their trail legs and then they have to get back to their normal life. Yeah. Now, me, when that happened, it wasn't just that I was off trail for two and a half weeks. I was completely off my feet for two and a half weeks because the way my right foot is, I can't walk without prosthetics. It's cut right in at the end of the arch. And your arch, the arch of your foot. Okay. So your arch is naturally higher on one side than the other. Uh Uh-huh. That's why my foot, when I stand up, if I stand up straight, just this, that corner of it is touching the ground. What about the left one? My left one kind of sits flat. But So is it like, is it amputated closer to the like ball of the foot? It's amputated at the end of the arch on the other end. Okay. I had, you know, that little pad you have, yeah. kind of under yeah. behind your toes. Yes, it's cut right at the start of it. Okay, right at that joint. Yeah. No, down below, about an inch or so past that. Past that. Okay. Yeah. So, fast forward two and a half weeks, I finally get the new prosthetics. I decide, basically, we're going to Springer. My buddy Wolf. He come, he come pick me up, took me a Springer, and I was killing it for me. I I was doing eight miles a day. So every you're like day. starting out on another through hike. No, I'm going to try to finish the trail. Finish the one you had started. I need. I just at this point, I just needed to make it to Damascus. Okay. No, Irwin. Okay. Yeah. Wait a minute. Let me back up. Before that, once I got back on trail, I did Damascus to Irwin. Right. Wolf is the one that took me to do that. When we got back to Damascus, he asked me what was next. And I told him, I don't know, because I had no idea what I was going to do. He said, I know, we're taking you to Springer and you're going to finish this thing. And you were like, hell yeah? Pretty much. He took me down to Springer and he hung out with me until Woody got. 
And I'm doing awesome. Got a little section hiker kind of family. They're all going basically the same place I am. It was an awesome time. Then I get into Smokies. Get to the first shelter. Very next day. First thing in the damn morning, too. My left prosthetic snaps in two. Wow. I have 100 miles left to Irwin. And I decided, and begin with, I was freaking out because I thought I couldn't walk. Come to find out, on my left side, I can walk, but not very, not like normal. I, with it broke, basically, I have to step forward with my left foot mm-hmm. and then bring my right foot even with it. Okay. Because I have nothing to push me forward on that side. So I physically cannot push myself off. Okay. So basically, I once I took a couple steps and realized I could kind of walk, I strapped the prosthetic to the top of my back with that little strap at the top, and I kept on going. Northbound? Yep, to Irwin. And that finished the trail between 18 and 2020. No shit. But everything was still going crazy. So I decided I was just going to keep going north until it got too cold not to. Mindful. I with only, just one prosthetic? No, not, not with just one. I went to get the next Okay. Went you, to get them repaired again. Okay. And that, that's when the, my prosthetic person was like, man, what are you doing? And I told him. He Why, didn't, because they broke and they're like, how, did, how could you possibly break this? Yeah, not once, but twice right. in 10 days. Or a little bit more than ten, because I was I could could not go more than eight. I always did seven, seven to eight miles. So within ten, twelve days, every single time they broke. I went through <laughs> fifteen pair of prosthetics in twenty twenty. Basically, when I made it to Irwin. I wasn't done, so I decided I was going to keep hiking until it got too cold to, and I ended up making it to the PA border. Was the company like, who is this guy that keeps breaking our stuff? I think they were starting to get in their head. So, basically, I finished the trail, and then I added about 1,000 miles to it, give or take. So that was like, in in... In total, that was a through hike plus a thousand miles. Well, not a through, not a through hike because it wasn't a calendar year. Okay, it but still it was the entire hike. trail. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But okay. Yeah, it's only a through hike, at least in my mind, if you do it in a calendar year. Right. Any other time, it's basically a section hike, and there is absolutely no shame in that at all. Right. I mean, that's how I finished it. And many, many other triple crowners I know, they did it in sections. But I did 1,067 miles that year. Went through 15 pairs of prosthetics. You do the math. I I can't do that math. Yeah, I didn't get very far with each set. So in January... I just got a brand new set. They're still, they're not fiberglass, but they're not carbon fiber. They're something else. I'm now a two. 
on that scale of uh, yeah. uh, potentiality of the amputee. And it's crazy. I did all that, and I'm still on just that too. Versus Which like uh, an Olympic athlete would be a, a four, and they're like, oh, you get the greatest technology and all the attention we can give you? Pretty okay. much. Now you see why so many amputees just give up. Wow. Don't give up. Yeah. Live your life the way you want to, and if somebody tells you you can't, give them the burden and say, I'm going to anyways. But every single time they broke, I was off my feet 100% for at least two weeks. But I ended up going from Georgia all the way to uh, the PA border. And then that January, I got that brand new set. I decided I was going to try to through hike the AT. Uh, needless to say, I didn't even get started. I went, I was doing a bunch of training hikes just to see if these prosthetics would last. Day before I, my ticket to get down to Atlanta, my pro, both my prosthetics broke into. Damn. That's when Dave. Figure it out. I, they got to do something or I'm going somewhere else because it was just bullshit, man. They keep telling me, you can, at this point, they're kind of starting to support me and shit, but you won't give me the shit, the stuff I need to actually be able to do it. And it, it was nothing. Like, when you finish a thru-hike, you get something that's called post-trail. You go home, nobody under, really understands what you did. Nobody, everybody, you're always wanting to talk about it, but nobody really wants to hear it. They just get tired of hearing about it, and you get really depressed. Now, imagine if you're getting ready to start something like that, and then s something breaks, and it completely ends that, that dream. I got... I, I I got bad. I was depressed as shit. This is like the third time. It took me. No, this is like the 16th time. <laughs> yeah, 15 pair in 2020. And then here it is, January 21, and I've already went through one pair. So then I finally, 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 finally get a carbon fiber set. They was the same style as the other ones, but they was made out of something that they said was stronger. But it took them forever to get them right. It, like, they didn't fit right every single time they got, got me to come in and try them. But by May, they had them. So, actually, no. I tried to do something with the other ones. They gave me another car, uh, fiberglass pair before the carbon fiber, and at trail days, I, after trail days, I went down and did the foothills trail with a set of fiberglass ones. Okay. You remember what I did in the Smokies in 2020? My very first day Ugh. leaving O'Kaney State Park, my left prosthetic breaks. And I got all kinds of people around me. They were like, you got to go home, don't you? I was like, no, I didn't come all the way down to South Carolina to go home. And I threw like that whole trail with no prosthetic on my left foot. 
So you're basically taking a step forward with your left foot and then dragging your right up to that point and then taking another step with your left. Yep. Okay. Basically. But I only could do like seven miles a day like that. But I, it took me like 10 days to do it. But then whenever I got back from that, that's when the process started to get the carbon fiber ones. Because finally, they realized fiberglass and this other stuff isn't going to work. So, they give me them, and I'm thinking I'm golden. Not quite. Not 100% yet. Because every time I would try to do a test hike, something on my legs would just be rubbed completely raw. It would be one spot, they would fix that, it would move to another spot. It was just, it took... From basic, basically June until August to get them. At this point, did you have like a dedicated person? At, yeah. Okay. I've been seeing the same person this whole time. They had input on the manufacture of the prosthetic? Yeah. So yeah, I, they finally got them right. And I decided I was going to make up my own through hike. It was too late to do the AT. It was too late to really even go Sobo at this point. So I'd been really wanting to do the Foothills Trail again and see if I could do it faster. And I really wanted to through hike the Benton Mackay Trail. But then I found out I could connect them all. So I started a hike I called Table Rock to Springer. It was about 800 miles. And I did that in November and December. October and November of 21 that was the foothills trail eastbound then the bartram trail northbound at the foothills trails that's an amazing 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 trail if you ever have a chance to do it i highly recommend yeah and it's in my neck of the woods yeah and then the bartram trail it starts at russell bridge you can take the chatuga river trail off the foothills trail down to it that goes 114 miles and ends at uh chioa bald on the Appalachian Trail. Okay. Then I went Joe Bald to Davenport Gap on the AT. Okay. And then I took the Deep Creek Trail or something like that down to the Ranger Station where the Bent McCow Trail starts. Then I threw like it so bad. Did you just put that together on your own? Pretty much. Okay. But when I was on the Bent McCow Trail, I had a huge breakthrough. I got up to 10 to 12 miles a day. And you had been doing like five to eight? Yeah. Okay. First time ever I did more than, ten, more than eight miles was the, my first day on the Bent McKay Trail. I did 13. And that was not an easy hike. That was going all the way up Sterling to that shelter. So 22 rolls around after that. I decide I'm going through like the AT. And man, I was killing it. Everybody that had been following me. Honestly, I think everybody kind of jinxed me because everybody was saying, dude, if your prosthetics hold up, there's no way you're not going to finish this. You can ask anybody I was hiking around in 20, in 22. You started at Springer? Yeah. Okay. Started at Springer. I went into the Smokies March 1st. And I made it to Damascus by April 1st. Wow, that's early. And I started February 7th. 
So it took me like 40 days to get the first 500 miles done. You like the winter. Oh, I love the winter. I mean, obviously, it's January. Yeah, here we are. It's January. We we're, can, sit, we're sitting at a campsite. And we can and, see our breath. <laughs> yeah, we're sitting at a campsite in January, and I just happened to be biking from Key, from D.C. to Key West. And it's like the middle of January in, in Georgia. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously, I love the wintertime. But, yeah, it was such an amazing time. So how, how yeah, keep going. What's then, next? Then tragedy happened. I'm, I made it to Damascus, but not, not without fault. Basically, I made it about 400 and some odd miles. Mind, mind you, I hiked about 800, and then I started the AT with this same pair. So now they have a huge, a huge, huge, huge improvement. I got over 1,000 miles out of a pair. Holy cow. They know what they're doing. That's how I felt. And I was killing it. Making damn good time. I was easily doing 10 to 15 a day. Right. My very first day I did, I got from Springer to uh, Neil Gap in two, in two and a half days. And I was out of Georgia in, I think, six days. Oh. Like, I was moving better and feeling better. Physically, mentally, I was a hundred and fucking million percent. Yeah. Nothing was, nothing was going to stop me. And then I start going up Little Bald in the Rhone Highlands. My right, uh -oh. pro, my right prosthetic breaks in half in the foot plate. So that's my bad side. That's the side I have a hell of a time walking if it breaks. But I had to get down to the road. So I made it, pushed my, basically, it took me forever to get up a little hump and hump, but I made it up them. Then I camped just out, just into the wood line, and then I walked down to 19E the next morning. When I got to 19E, uh, Fresh Ground, the Leapfrog Cafe, he had been following me and my group ever since uh, Fontana. Such an amazing dude. Fresh Ground, shout out. Yeah, man. And he'll be starting up his uh, 2020, 2024 season very soon. Yeah. So definitely check him out on Instagram and so on. And help support what he does. He's a Leapfrog Cafe on Instagram and Facebook. Nice. So, uh, I owe this man and the hiking community so, so, so much. What'd they do? And all of the all of these people, all y'all, all the community is the whole reason I'm like I am now with this company. We'll get into that in a second. But basically, the kind of prosthetics that he told me I needed was something way out of my price range. Who told I, you this? Your person at the company? Yeah. Okay. And insurance every t he was trying to get me in them. That was these. Okay. But a little bit different version, but made by the same people. But insurance wouldn't cover it. He tried it every way he could think of. Insurance denied it every single time. So this whole time, I've been needing a better pair of, set of prosthetics that can actually do 
hold up to what I do. And a spare pair to where I don't have to be crawling around or in a wheelchair for whoever, however long when my prosthetics break. Because they just make them like one at a time, right? Or make them as you need them. Yeah. But you have to get fitted each time. Okay. So... Not like they can pull some off the shelf. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Like, these are custom fit. Okay. Custom made. So when I get down to the 19E, I told Fresh... I sent Fresh Ground a text the night before and told him we had a huge problem. Because I was basically thinking I was going to have to get home somehow. And there's really no public transportation other than a crazy expensive shuttle ride out to anywhere out of Rhone to get back to up to Virginia. So I'm sitting, I'm thinking my hike's over for right now. Fresh Ground had other plans. That night, he found out that somebody I've been leapfrogging around with works with carbon fiber. Well, he talked this dude into taking two zeros and trying to fix my prosthetics. Meanwhile, Fresh Ground decided we should try to do a fundraiser to get me actual, the actual kind of prosthetics I need to live the lifestyle I want. To have the life and the, just the quality of life that I want instead of having to deal with like every single time my dreams getting shot basically into over and over and over and over and over again. So many times. And begin with, I, did, I said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not asking people for money. I'm not, I'm not doing that. A little bit later, I finally agreed to it and we both thought we might have a little bit of it by the time I got to Damascus. Okay. But you couldn't, did, did the other guy like make a repair enough that you could keep moving? It did, but I didn't, I had to get off at Shady Valley. Basically what he did just fell apart. Okay. Fell off. Okay. But that, that fundraiser, but yeah. In 24 hours, they, that fundraiser raised $8,500. How much did you need? Like seven, a little over seven. Wow. We told everybody we had the money to stop. We don't need it anymore. So many people kept sending money saying, we just want to support you and what you're doing. Oh, my God. For when, save this for when you get back out there and keep killing it. And we ended up getting... Like, it finally slowed down and stopped when I was almost at nine grand. And we told them at like seven grand, no, that's enough. And everybody just kept doing it. And I cannot thank everybody, like, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Because there's just no way in hell I could have done that. I mean, I'm not rich. My family's not rich. I'm, I've never been made of money. And I damn sure don't have it now. I'd live the simplest life I can and the cheapest life I can. 
to have that happen completely blew both our minds, and we both just sit there on the bunk bed crying like I, crying like babies. You gonna make me cry? What happened next? And then, uh, basically, we got them what we thought fixed, but I made it, made it to Boots Off, and then about 20 miles past it, Boots Off Hostel in Hampton. So I made it about 60, about 60 miles. And the repair he did just basically fell off. It didn't get, it didn't, like, set or cure long enough, I guess. But my buddy, uh, Lone Wolf, picked me up. Took me back home. I went to a prosthetic place and said, here. A couple months later, I have a test set of the, pro the current style prosthetics I have now. They was made out of just like a hard plastic just to make sure they got the, got the size. So did you just walk in and say, here, I got the money, damn it. Make me some good shit. Basically. Nice. And that was such a good feeling. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that happened, and I got these. Not these exact ones, the ones I had before this. And this is when my whole life kind of changed as an amputee. When I got these prosthetics, I went on a test like I had an issue. I went and got them fixed. The very next day, without even going on a, another test hike, I go up to North, uh, North Adams, uh, Massachusetts, and start the Vermont Lawn Trail. And I threw hike it. Such an amazing, amazing trail. That, the community around that thing. How long is the long trail? Like 272 miles. And... It was funny. So many people in all my social medias, I started getting a lot of trolls about the long trail. Saying, I can't handle them mountains up there. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't do this. Damn it, you're telling the wrong person that kind of stuff because you tell me I can't do something or I ain't able to do it. You're damn right. I'm going to do everything I can to prove you wrong. Yeah, baby. And that's how I've been ever since I started physical therapy. So I, and I even went up, I, me and uh, one of the mountains, they said I was going to have, I am not going to be able to get up there. I'm going to, I'm going to fall to my death. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Camel's hump. The, one of the tallest peaks in Vermont. Me and Alaska night hiked up it to get sunrise. And everybody thought that was fucking in, like insane. You don't night hike Camel's hump or Mansfield. I did, and I had no issue at all. Going down Mansfield, sketchy as crap. Like, there was people at the forehead scared to death to go down it. I'm in shorts. They see my prosthetics. They look at me like I'm crazy, and I just fly down it. And this is 2023? 22. Yep. I started the long trail August 17th, and I finished it uh, September 20th. Then I wasn't done, and I go back to Angel's Rest Hostel, where I worked at in 22. When my when my pro that's another huge shout out to Angel's Rest. When my prosthetics broke, I got back on later on. Before I got these, 
they just repaired the ones I had. And I made it to Daleville, Virginia. Okay. When they broke, I was coming down Dragon Tooth. Kind of, kind of strange, ain't it? Yeah. That my very first hike is yeah. amputee, and then it, it breaks my heart coming back down it. So when I was at Angel's Rest, I hung out there for a couple of days. And when my prosthetics broke, uh, Sprocket took me to Angel's Rest, and then my sister came and got me at Angel's Rest. Well, he took me to Angel's Rest. She came and got me there because that was like the midway point. So, because my sister did not want to drive all the way to Roanoke. So, the huge shout out to them is the next day, I'm sitting at home depressed as shit. Hot Tamale and Doc message me. Says, you want to come over here and work while you're waiting on your prosthetics? Put me smack dab right back in the middle of the hiking community. And it was absolutely amazing. It made waiting around on the new prosthetics so much easier. How long did it take? Uh, my, that happened one week after trail days. And then I was there. I got my new, the first set of these sometime in June. But they didn't fit right and they was causing issues. And it, it, it took until August 15th or 6th, about, yeah, August 15th is when I finally got them right. Well, I didn't even know they was right. I was just hoping they was. Right. That's when I started the long, that's when I did the long trail. So I had to back up a little bit to tell that. But the long trail, everybody told me I wouldn't be able to do. And now it's one of my favorite trails I've done. And I'll probably do that thing at least one more time. What'd you do in 2023? I'm not done with 22. Oh, crap. Come on. I did like eight different trails. When I got these new prosthetics, I went butt wild. Uh, we finished that. I finished that. And then uh, took a bus to Philly. My buddy Chris from Light, that owns Light AF, he picked me up. And we went and got some, uh, some cheesesteaks and stuff. And he was like... You got a few. You got a few days, and I'm like, "Well, he's like, I want you to through hike this trail we got in the backyard and test out this tarp." And I was like, "Okay." It was the New Jersey Batona Trail, and it went. It was like 60, 70 miles, something like that, through the New Jersey Pine Barrens. And I did it right after a long trail, and holy cow, was that a? It was like night and day, dude. It was flat. <laughs> no rocks, no roots. There wasn't no hand and footholds going up rock faces. There wasn't no, oh, about to shit your pants, that scrambling down. Uh, it was just a peaceful walk in the woods. Nice. It was just a pine forest, pine needles, and a couple ponds. But it was awesome. And I met so many, so many of my followers at that time, and even now live in the New Jersey area. And every one of them just came out and hung out the whole fucking time I was wow, there. Wow, dude, you could probably start a cult if you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, dude. It was, <laughs> it, it was such a good time. So then I finally make it back down to Angel's Rest. I, I tried to skip all kinds of stuff. Make it back down to Angel's Rest. Hot Tamale, she's, somebody, she's the host there. And uh, she wanted to do the West Virginia Allegheny Trail. But she didn't want to do it alone. 
So I was like, okay, I'll do it. It didn't take much to talk me into it. I, she just basically asked if I'd go, and I was like, yep, let's go. And that's what we did the next morning, basically. Wow. Yeah, this whole time, like in 22, the end of it, until March of 23, I was not off trail more than a week at a time. It's not a hobby. It's a life. It's my life. It's my lifestyle. But I didn't finish that trail. That's the only through hike I've quit. Only Why'd one. you quit? Because to me, the AT, I didn't quit. It was I was forced off. You just had to go back and finish it. I, there was no way I could continue okay. on like I was. So it's I don't see quitting as being forced off. Trail. Okay, I get it. You quit because you just yeah you want to quit. I get that. You're, you make your mind up if you're quitting. Why'd you quit this trail? Tamale, well, it was an awesome trail for the first fifty, sixty miles. Then we get on this road. It's a, like a gap. It's a 25-mile road walk. So we're coming down this hill from uh, the Raptor Observatory. It's like a halt viewing okay. area. Okay. Such a pretty spot. You can see Kentucky, West Virginia, Virginia from there. But when we're coming down this road, we come up to this stop sign, and did we start getting a weird feeling even... A little bit before then. But there's this huge, like, two or three snakes just wrapped around. They're, somebody killed them and wrapped them around the sign. Oh. And, yeah. That's bizarre. And then we're going down this road, and there's just Confederate flags and Nazi flags every goddamn where. We had no other choice. We had to keep going. And basically, we hit Moncove Lake, Moncove State Lake, something or another road. And it was nothing but dogs, dogs, dogs. She got bit on the foot bad. Wow. Couldn't, couldn't walk. And basically, we ended up having to get her sister to come like get Like you're her. walking down the road and dogs just come out and attack you? Yeah. And the people was sitting on the porch and didn't even try to call their dogs back oh. until pew, pew. she got bit. Pew, pew. <laughs> right? So, basically, I was only doing that hike. I really and truly had no interest in doing that trail. Because I didn't know nothing about it. I just was over there just to do it with her, whether we finished or not. It was just a hangout, basically, in my mind. But there was one thing, one trail I really wanted to do. And that's exactly what I did about four or five days after we got back to Angel's Rest. Molly couldn't hike for a, lo a long while, so I just gave up with the Allegheny Trail. And uh, Jennifer Fur Davis in 2022 uh, came up, her and a couple other people came up with the Appalachian High Route. Which gives you, there's 52, 6,000 footers in North Carolina. This route gives you access to all of them, meaning you go over right over the top of them or you're within three to four miles of all of them, but about four. Guess what time of year I did this? Winter. Yep. <laughs> and I was above 5,000 feet for at least 200 miles. Wow. Yeah, we did that. Out. Something really cool about that. 
and a Bent Mackay Trail, and a Foothills Trail, and a Bar Trim Trail. All these trails I've mentioned so far. I've been the first bilateral amputee to through hike them, which is pretty cool. That is cool. And I'm trying to become the first bilateral amputee to triple crown. Well, I did the Appalachian High Route. I finished it um, the day before Christmas, 22. And then I did Daleville to uh, Swift Run Gap on the AT. That's the first gap after you go into Shenandoah National Park. And then I went down to Florida because my friends at ZPACs, which now we'll get into that, uh, hit me up and asked me if I would like to join them for 72 miles of the Ocala section of the Florida Trail. Now, y'all, y'all know me, but up to this point, I don't like just going for a little hike. I like to keep going. So my plan was I'd go down there, do that with them, and if I liked it, I'd keep going. Well, honestly, I wasn't really enjoying it a whole, whole lot. <laughs> it was kind of kind of monotonous. Like, it was, the Florida Trail is 100%, 100% unique. It's un, unlike any other through-hike that I've done. But it's like, yeah, you have different ecosystems every day, but it's like the same ones in order every day kind of thing. And it's just flat. There's no mountains. I love the mountains. But the wildlife, the swamps, the prairies, the springs, oh my gosh, the springs. That's all amazing about the Florida Trail. And it's definitely worth doing. But I almost said the heck with it because I was tired of just, I was by myself. I was hadn't seen anybody else after I had left the ZPAC screw. Then something completely unheard of. And I've asked a million hikers this year, well, last year, if they've ever had this happen, and not a single one said yet. What happened? All right, you know how a lot of times you'll show up to a place and you'll have one or two hikers that recognize each other? Uh-huh. Show up to the 88 store. There's eight, eight or nine hikers there. Every single one of us has hiked together at, on some fucking trail really? somewhere. Every single one of us knew each other. You should have started a band. Dude, you have no idea. <laughs> the, 2023, the 2023 Nobo Florida Trail Bubble. 20 people. Every single one of us had hiked together somewhere else. Wow. It was a fucking, it was the, the most amazing I bet time. that was fun. Oh, dude, part of the, the 22, uh, part of the 21 Dirty Bubble was there too. Nana Man and a bunch of others. It was such a fun time, man. Like every single day after that was just, it didn't even feel like we was through hiking. It was like a big reunion every fucking day. Wow. It was the most, that is honestly, you know how I said I didn't enjoy it all that much? It's honestly been my favorite hike I've done so far. Because of the people. And it's all because of the people. And remember that because this route I'm doing now is all because of the people. Kind of a common theme with me. So let's talk about your big plans for the next or the future that you kind of alluded to. Okay, so my big plans for the future. 
basically in uh, 2017, I made this list. It was 40, basically I wanted to hike what it would be equivalent to if you walked all the way around earth, which is like 25,000 some, 25, some odd miles. I had this list that I made up of all long distance trails in the United States. Not all of them, just ones I wanted to do. And that equaled 26,000 miles. When I became an amputee and I finished AT, I started that list over in 21. And now it's grown a lot. Now it's 40 long distance trails. I've done 11 of them so far. All 11 National Scenic Trails. I've completed one, but it can't count towards my goal because most of it was in 2020 and they, don't, they won't recognize it. For me to be recognized as the first bilateral amputee to Triple Crown, I have to be recognized by all three. So that's why in 22, I tried to finish it well through like it and now i have basically the same amount of the miles done i have from georgia all the way up to boonesboro maryland crazy because that's because in 23 that's the only hike i did i did the florida that part of the florida trail that that part of the at and then i did from a swift run gap to Boonesboro, Maryland. Well, when you ride your bicycle to Key West, Florida, but, yeah. but the, when that, the reason I got off at Boonesboro, I worked at Angels Rest until June, and then I got back on to finish the AT. The prosthetics that I had, the ones that now have a little over 2,000 miles on them, break. And that's when everything changed 100%. Because now, basically, when I went to my prosthetic appointment after they broke, when I went in there, I got fitted. He handed me a phone number. And it was the phone number to the owner of Five Tech Systems. Wow. The people that makes these prosthetics. The owner of the company. Yeah. Come to find out, when they made that pair for me in 22 and I did the long trail, the Appalachian High route, and all kinds of other stuff, they started following me. And I didn't know. Like it. on social media? Yeah. Okay. So basically, they, when I got on the phone with him, he straight up told me he's never had anybody go through their, pros their prosthetics in 10 and a half months. I hiked a little over 2,000 miles in, two and, in 10 and a half You mean months. like break a pair? Yeah. Like they've, they've never had a pair wear out. Okay. Not like that quick. And then he was like, I get it. We've been following you, and we know exactly what you need. And that's, that's been it. Basically, now I have spare prosthetics. I have brand new prosthetics. I have foot plates, two of them, for each foot. So think about it, them first pair of prosthetics, they, bro they broke. They got at least 2,000 miles on them. So if the pair I have on now, they just been on bikepacking, I don't think that hurts them all really any. 
Then I have a spare set. That's 4,000. What breaks every time is the foot plate. 6,000. 8,000. That's 8,000 miles of prosthetic. So you've gone from a one or zero or a one on that scale of priority. I'm as I'm as high as you. I'm technically considered like an athlete, oh. or they put me right up there with like Olympic athletes, basically, and fitness ability kind of wise. Dude, this is a crazy story. And it's and it's all because I said hell no, I'm going to, and I pushed myself to the limit. For two and a half years. Just trying like hell to even remotely get close to how I was. It took me four, uh, 19, 20, 21, 22. Took me four years to even remotely get close to going an average pace of a normal person. Like most section hikers or most people when they start out, they do like eight miles a day, eight to ten. Yeah. For three years, I couldn't even do that. And now, my biggest day ever was when I did a swift run gap to Boonesboro, Maryland. My second day, I do 26 and a half, something like that. I went from Thornton Gap to out the shelter outside the park. This is a crazy story. Let's, let's wind it down with this. I have two more questions. One... What is your hope for yourself for the future? My hope for myself for the future. Try get my story out there to any every single person out there that could benefit from it. Okay, and there's a lot. Yep. And to complete my dream, which in all total is about 47,000 miles of bikepacking and through hiking. 40 different long-distance trails, all 11 national scenic in the U.S. and the Tierra and the Great Divide, and the Hexa Trek across France. That's, that's the only three that's out, out of the U.S. How many miles have you hiked thus far, do you know? Hiked a little over 4,000 as amputee. But hiking and bikepacking, I hit my 6,000-mile mark two days ago. God crazy that's all human powered through hiking or bike packing only no day hikes no walks nothing like that counted wow that's just all miles towards my list okay second question what advice do you have for aspiring hikers or adventurers or people who have either physical or just self-mental limitations or fears about going out and getting stuff done well it would be a little bit different for both because just inspiring hikers just don't think about it too much just go you'll, you'll learn everything you need to know while you're out there like know your gear know know how to use it but everything else don't worry about you'll figure it out and it's a just no one thing to you're not going when you finish. You're not going to be the same person as you was when you stepped off. You're going to be a better, a lot of times, a whole lot better version of yourself. Now, people that are just have some kind of disability or that limits your life in any way, make small goals. Small goals equal big goals, 
And don't be scared to push yourself. If somebody tells you you can't do something, don't listen to them. Burn the wheelchair. Trust me, I'm living proof. You can do whatever the hell you want to do. Dude, it's just a really... This story is just crazy and inspiring. And the determination is just off the charts. I think uh, my hope for this podcast for the future is that as many people as possible will hear it and uh, be inspired to, you know, put their own self-limiting beliefs in perspective and just go do some cool stuff. Just go do it. Yeah, man. In the winter. <laughs> in the worst possible way. Now, 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 I don't recommend it in the winter unless you really, really, really know what you're doing. Uh, but, yeah, in the summertime, get out there and enjoy it. And then, after you get a little bit of experience, dabble into the cold weather. Okay. Definitely don't, don't start bike packing your first trip in the wintertime. Let, let's shut this thing down and go uh, stoke the campfire and uh, cook some food. Sounds good. All right, man. Thanks for being on here, bro. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Been an awesome chat. Mischief on the trail. Check them out on all the social medias. Yeah, on all of them. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, y'all. Thanks for joining us today on the Hiker Trash Podcast. If you'd like to support this project, you can go buy a coffee table book or a fine art print. You can do it at our website, localexposuremagazine.com. You can show some love to Scott Lowe. He provided the music for today's episode. You can find him on Instagram at Scott Lowe Songs. Hey, if you enjoy this, tell someone. Send them a text, make a post, talk about it. And stay tuned for the next episode. Thank you.